Well, good morning, Faith Church. It is good to be back with you, uh, and it's also good to have Pastor Joe back in the house, is it not? Very glad to see him walking around here. Uh, one of the ladies last week, um, and having been a pastor for about 13 years, I just want you to know I say this with fondness and appreciation with some good memories behind it. But one of the ladies last week said, we thank you so much. It's been great to listen to your messages, but we really want our pastor back. And I was like, don't worry, he's coming, he's coming. But I, I do love that because the truth is no matter how big a family gets, no matter how big the church gets, you, you never wanna lose that idea that we're still just a family. And it's not that easy. God keeps adding people to the family here at Faith. And, and so just knowing that there's that affection there that's for him, I love that. And I hope you do as well. I hope you feel connected. And so today, that's what I wanna talk with you about. We want to finish my part of the series. Actually, next week will be about freedom also. But I want to finish my part talking with you about freedom once again. And I want to tell you, we are intended to share our freedom. We have received freedom as we've looked at the book of Galatians. We've not gone through every verse. But we, we've received freedom as a grace gift through faith in Jesus. Jesus came to purchase our freedom for us, to give us, to let us know for sure that we're okay with God, that we're more than okay, we're actually adopted and brought into the family. And Jesus has made that possible, and we don't try to earn that. We can't work for that. It's not do's and don'ts or a religious system. It's believing in Jesus, trusting Him. And that's what we've learned in the book of Galatians. And in addition to that, we learned that the way we continue to experience this freedom, which is one of the benefits of being forgiven, um, is by living, kind of learning how to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. And so we receive it through Jesus. We, we live it by uh, learning to walk with the Holy Spirit. But I would say this, we're intended to share it with our church family. So today, that's what I want to talk with you about, is sharing our freedom. I want to invite you to open your Bibles with me to Galatians 6, or turn it on, however you look at a Bible. And uh, let's look at Galatians 6 together as we consider how in the family of God we're supposed to be doing this together. We're supposed to be sharing life together. Beginning in verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, for you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else, for each one should carry his own load. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that sinful nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Now, before I pray, 
when you look at verse 1, same brothers, brothers and sisters. Let's talk about what it's like to live in this family. And then in verse 10, he ends this little chunk of scripture, this thought, by saying, let's do good to everyone, but especially to those who are in the family. And so I want to say this is a family passage. Let's do life together. That's the message. Let's pray together that God would teach us. Lord, we love you today. We thank you so much that as we open your word, we know that you speak. Lord, I'm going to try to be led by you now and, and deliver what you've put on my heart. And I'm going to ask you, Lord, to do for these people, these brothers and sisters, these new friends, what I cannot do. Lord, I can't make my message tailor fit each one of them, but you can. You can take this inspired and timeless word and you can make it a very timely, life-giving word for every individual. And Lord, it's my prayer you would do no less. I pray that Satan would be defeated and every minion from hell, every chain broken, and I pray that Jesus Christ and his power would be proclaimed so that people can be set free once again. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen. So I want to share with you today from this passage of Scripture four ways that our spiritual freedom should be experienced together. Number one, in this family, in the faith family, we share our freedom by helping each other and especially when one of us gets entangled in sin. When you look at verse 6, it says, Brothers, if someone gets caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore them gently. He goes on to say, and by the way, watch yourself or you also may be tempted. So there's a couple of things right there that we know immediately. Number one, if you're going to be a helper, you should be so gently. So be gentle in trying to help each other. Secondly, we should be cautious. You can't help people if you're down in the ditch with them. If you're down, face down on the ground with them, you can't help them get up. So it's just kind of common sense. But those are the two things that you get in there. But let's ask this question first. When he says, brothers, you who are spiritual. Now, I got to tell you, that jumps off at me kind of like it's got neon light to it every single time. Because I don't know about you. I don't always feel like one who is so spiritual. Now, that may be alarming for you because I'm the pastor. Or I am, I'm not your pastor, but I am a pastor. I'm the preacher anyway, right? I'm the guy up there giving the talk, trying to tell you how you should learn this scripture and all that kind of stuff. So, but I, I do want to tell you, I don't always feel so spiritual. I don't wake up saying hallelujah. I don't wake up like saying, saying amen and singing gospel songs while I'm popping every joint in my body walking down the steps to my coffee pot. That's not what I'm doing. I'm typically just saying, oh dear Lord, help me. You know, I, I, th th I live very much the same way you do. I get frustrated the way you do. I don't always feel spiritual, but I know what this means now, so I'm going to share it with you because it's a little bit intimidating. What does it mean? The way to know who is spiritual is to go back in the letter. Remember, this is a letter from a man who loves these people to people that he's brought into the faith. God's used him in a special way to build up their faith, to teach them about Jesus. And he's shown them some things. He showed them that, the Holy Spirit was the one who made Jesus real to them. He preached the gospel, but it was the Holy Spirit who made their hearts come alive and receive that. And not only that, that's in Galatians 3. They didn't start this. They didn't go looking for God. God came looking for them. 
Galatians chapter 4, it's through the Holy Spirit that we can even look to God and say, Abba, Father, which means that we're talking to God. That's a foreign idea in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, it's not only said here, it's said elsewhere. Our Father, my Father, Abba, Father, and that's intimate terminology. He's not just God afar, He's God with me. He's my God. He's my Father. He's yours. Not only that, but the Spirit in us helps us to flesh that out. We are no longer committed to things we were committed to before we met Jesus. We are now living by a, a new set of rules, so to speak. And that set of rules says this, above and beyond everything else, I'm going to love God. And then I'm going to love men. Galatians chapter 5 gets in there and it says, oh, and when you get this, this walk going with God, what happens is that you learn to walk in step with the Spirit. And when you're walking in step with the Spirit, there are certain things you used to do before you came into the family, before you knew you were adopted. Uh, there were certain things you may used to have been actively participating in that now you may be tempted to occasionally. You might even go there on occasion, but you don't live there anymore. There are certain things that those of us in the family of God, we don't do. That's Galatians 5, 18 and 19. But to the contrast, when you're walking in step with the Spirit, you start to look more like Jesus. Your character becomes more loving, more joyful, more peaceful. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. So who's spiritual? It doesn't mean that that's, the, that's Pastor Joe. It doesn't mean that that's Eddie. That doesn't mean that that's Jack or... Or Tim, that doesn't mean that it's even your mom. It doesn't mean that that's, that's who's spiritual. It means any of us who've been adopted into the family and are imperfectly walking with God till we get to the other side. That means if you have the capacity in you to help someone else, that's you. If you have the Holy Spirit in you and God is your father, you're a family member, so if somebody's hurting, help them. That's what that means. And be careful in doing it, because the reality is we're, none of us are above temptation. Can somebody say amen to that? And you can't help somebody if you're down with them. Now, I just want to say, as I look at the Old Testament, there's a passage of Scripture that I want to share with you that I think just really highlights this teaching. It's written by a guy that they call the, the wisest man who ever lived, which I find to be quite questionable. It's a guy named Solomon. You say, why would I question his wisdom? He was very wise in so many ways, but he had 400 wives and over 300 concubines. Does that sound wise to you? So I just leave it right there. Uh, there's no question that he did have so much wisdom in so many ways. Uh, but nevertheless, he wrote this, all right? And he's writing this near the end of his life, and he ends the book of Ecclesiastes saying, by the way, I had it all. I had wisdom. I had wealth. I had more women than you'll ever imagine. I had X, Y, and Z, you name it, I've had it. Work, I've accomplished. He gets to the end, Ecclesiastes 12, 13, he says, when it, all, all that matters is love God and obey his commandments. In the middle of that book, he writes Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 through 12, he says this, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them get up. Also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And a cord of three strands 
is not easily broken. Two, better than one. And a cord of three, not easily broken. I think about that in the New Testament sense. I think any time a, a couple of people get together and we pray, who does the Bible say is in their midst? The Lord himself. You see, when we're, when we're together, we're just simply better. We're more productive. We're more intelligent. We're stronger. We can fight for one another better. There, in every way, we're better when we're together. That's what Solomon is saying that he's discovered at the end of his life. And I believe one of the things that you can look at here is to say, if someone falls, you got somebody to help you get up. How many of you have ever tripped up? Don't raise your hand. It's an assumed Every one of us has. You can look to the person and say to them, you ain't so good. You ain't as good as you look. None of us, none. We all mess up. Every one of us. We may put on our Sunday best. We may know scriptures. We may raise our hands in worship. But we all have our temptations. Every one of us. We all need help. One of my favorite New Testament passages is when Jesus helped Peter. You see, Peter blew it royally. He didn't just trip. Man, he really royally blew it. Peter is there the night before Jesus is betrayed, and he's talking with Jesus. Jesus tells them that they're going to come, they're going to they're strike the shepherd, and all the sheep are going to go scattering. And Peter essentially tells Jesus, hey, Jesus, the Eddie Cole version is this. All these other guys may blow it. They may bail out on you, but I'm going to stick with you. All the others, by the way, said the same thing. But the truth is, is that Jesus looks at, at Peter and he says to him, he says, listen, Satan has sifted, has, has asked for you that he may sift you like wheat. He's going to shake you to the core of your being. And he says, but I've prayed for you. And when you return, I want you to strengthen the others. And before that night is over, exactly what Jesus said would happen, happened. That next morning, they're in a courtyard. It's not a very large courtyard. Jesus has already been through mock trials. He's been beaten, beard plucked. He's had all kinds of stuff happen to him. And he's over on one side of, a, of the courtyard. And Peter's around a, a little fire pit, so to speak, with some people. And there's this teenage girl who says to him, aren't you one of the Galileans? You're one of them. And Peter essentially for the third time says, I swear to God or something like that. I don't know him. Can you imagine that? Not only would Jesus deny him, but he would do so cursing. And it says the, that the, the time the, the rooster crowed, the second time the rooster crowed, that Peter and Jesus locked eyes. I can't even fathom what that felt like. The scriptures teach us that Jesus left that, or excuse me, Peter left that place and he went out and he wept bitterly. Can you imagine that? This Jesus who you said, I'm going to be there with you. You look across that and here he is bleeding, having done nothing wrong, and you just denied you knew him. I can't even imagine how low he was. Well, the truth is, the story goes on, and we can rejoice because we know that's not the end. Jesus rises from the grave. Thank God, at the end of the Gospel of Mark, it says one of the ladies goes down to the tomb, and when she looks in, there's no one in there, and an, an angel says to her, go tell 
the, go tell the disciples and Peter. Funny, isn't it? The only one that gets any mention by name. Make sure Peter knows. Maybe it's because Peter's so down, he's going to think, oh, that news doesn't even apply to me. But go tell the, go tell the disciples, Jesus has risen and he's, all, he's already in Galilee. Go down there and he'll meet you down there. And then, of course, Jesus shows himself to the disciples. And then there's a day where there's a restoration, like in Galatians 6.1, a gentle restoration. Peter jumps out of the boat. They're out there fishing. Peter recognizes it's Jesus. He goes in to have some breakfast with Jesus before the other disciples are even in. He's sitting there and he's talking. Jesus says to him, Peter, do you love me? Jesus knows the answer. He knows where he's going. Peter says... Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Peter, do you love me? Finally, Peter, Peter says this. He says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Essentially, what he's saying is, Lord, you know how imperfect I am. You know how messed up I am. You know what I did. But you know that I love you the, the best that I know how. Can you imagine being in Peter's shoes in that moment? But the cool, cool thing about it is, is that Jesus gives him a word. He says, listen, when you were young, you went your own way. You said things, you did things that you regret. But when you're old, <laughs> when you're old, you're going to follow me all the way, even to the death. I just find that to be so encouraging. It's not that Peter knew then that he was ultimately going to die for his faith, for following Jesus, but he did get an encouraging word. I know who you've been at your lowest moment, and I know who you're going to be. And Peter, I love you. You're still one of mine. Feed my sheep. That's what you call a gentle restoration. Today, by the way, if you look at a calendar, is Pentecost Sunday. Who gets credit for preaching the sermon in the temple on the day of Pentecost? When Jesus uh, poured out from heaven the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit came upon the church, the guy that was given credit for preaching that message in Acts chapter 2 was none other than the guy who denied knowing Jesus. And there's Peter preaching boldly, courageously, that Jesus Christ is Lord. What an awesome, awesome restoration. Peter was a changed man from that point on. Thank God for a gentle restoration from Jesus. Have you ever had restoration needed in your life? I know that I have. I had a, a radical transformation experience when I first met the Lord. Um, I won't go into my background, just, you know, out of the military, college, a guy, young guy that has no heart, you know, for God, no heart for the things of God. I'm basically living for me. A little on the rambunctious side, a lot maybe at times on the rambunctious side. And uh, when I met the Lord, it, it just changed me forever. Those, those early months, I, I, I experienced a kind of freedom, you know, a kind of joy, a new life. It, it was really awesome. About six months in, um, I got a job. Over the course of a summer, I was going to be working a, a shift work, a summer job at a plant. And uh, this, I, didn't, I wasn't able to choose when my hours were. I just had to work when I was scheduled to work, so... 
there were several Sundays in a row, it seemed like I was scheduled. And then on top of that, I started playing on a softball team. I used to be a ball player. And a lot of, a lot of guys will understand this, and, and ladies. There are travel teams, guys that want to be competitive and, and keep playing. I think some of them are still trying to hold on to some glory days they need to let go of. Nevertheless, uh, I, I was playing between the softball, between the work. I just, I kind of started to drift a little bit. Not completely. I didn't go back all the way back out there doing things that I used to do. But there was a period of seven or eight weeks where I just kind of was drifting and my fire started to diminish. I needed some help, but I, I was feeling like a loser. I'm telling you, I felt like I, I shouldn't even go to church. I'm not qualified. I mean, I, I don't... I just felt beaten down. I felt spiritually like I ought to just stop playing the charade. That was kind of how I felt. I mean, I wasn't even doing again the same things, but I just felt terrible. I'm one of those type A people. You know, it's either an A or an F. You know, you do what you do well and things you don't do well, like dancing for me. You'll never see me dance. Slow dance maybe, but dancing and slow dance is like barely dancing at all. That's like you just sway a little bit. I never hear me sing. I don't do what I don't do well. And in walking with Jesus, I was feeling like I don't do this well. Maybe I should just quit. But something, something in me kept, keeps me going. I, I have a friend named Mike. Mike invited me to his house. And Mike took me out on his front porch. He never asked me, where have you been? He never asked me, what have you been doing? We just sat on his porch for hours. We drank tea. We looked at the Holston River. Mike talked with me about how God used Moses. Took him off the backside of a desert, and God used this man who was just full of himself and out there, and He brought restoration in his life and used him to bring uh, the people of Israel out of Egypt and out of bondage. and And He prayed with me, Mike. Mike, He didn't ask me anything. He didn't berate me. He didn't point at me. He didn't say shame on you. After all, God's done for you. He didn't do any of that kind of stuff. He didn't give me one of those. I'm praying for you kind of looks. He loved on me. He poured his life into me. He just put his hand on me. And I just want to say from that moment on, I, I've never looked back because in that moment I knew I'm a screw up, but the gospel still works for me. And here's what I know all these years later, the gospel works for unbelievers and the gospel works for believers. It's got to be preached. It's got to be believed. It converts the soul, but it also strengthens the soul. God knew you at your worst moment, and he sent his son to die for you anyway. You didn't start this thing because of your goodness, and you certainly won't finish it because of your goodness. Get back in the race. If you're down, I want you to know I want to lift you up and restore you today. You are loved. You have a seat at the table. You're adopted in the family. Let me offer you a word of restoration. I want to be a person that offers restoration. Has anybody else ever felt down? Are you awake? I have. I've felt down before. I've felt beaten up. And I, I know that God wants to tell somebody in here today through me. You feel awful. You feel terrible. You feel like you've forfeited and you're disqualified. You're not. Praise his name. He uses imperfect people. And if he didn't, none of us could be used. But he does. So be restored today. Receive that in faith. 
So first thing we do in the family, we help one another, and especially for those who have tripped. Now, I want to give you three more, but these other three go fast. Three more ways that the Holy Spirit wants to bless us in the family of God. Uh-oh. I just shut down my message. Thankfully, I still have a Bible. iPad. Verse 2 says we bear one another's burdens. We don't just help each other when we've sinned. We help each other when we get stressful and heavy situations that aren't necessarily sinful. Things that are just heavy. How many of you were affected when you heard there was another shooting in a high school in Texas? I can't even imagine. How do people get through unexpected death like that for a child? How do people get through divorce? How do people get through? I'll, I'll tell you this much. The church comes together and the church helps those that are hurting. When we're doing our best, we exemplify the love of God into the life of the family. So much so, when you look down through here, it says that we fulfill the law of Christ. In John chapter 13, it says this. Jesus told his disciples, he says, I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. As I have loved you, he says, go love one another. In verse 35, he says this. The world will know you are mine by your love one for another. So in the family of God, we're white, we're black, we're brown, we're, we're educated, we're uneducated, we're rich, we're poor, we're Republican, Democrat, independent, libertarian. We're, we're all this. But the beautiful thing is, is that, that we're one in Christ. And when the world looks on at us, they may, they may say, we don't believe in their Jesus, but somehow or another, they get unity, whereas none of us can experience that. They may not believe in our Jesus, but let them see the love of Jesus in us. And when we're doing this, when we're helping one another, here's what happens. The heavy, impossible burden on one person's shoulder gets lifted by a whole host of other people, and that burden just got a whole lot less. It's no longer my burden or your burden. It's our burden. You've got heavy burdens. Guess what? The family is God he, he, the family of God is here to help make your heavy load lighter. Amen? A third way that we can experience this life together, this freedom together, is by sharing the good stuff of life with our leaders. When you look at verse 6, it says, Anyone who receives instruction in the Word must share all good things with his instructors. Now, what does that mean? Uh, let me first of all just acknowledge, I've read some commentators and I've heard from other pastors even that that verse right there is primarily referring to uh, paying your pastor, paying your, your, your staff, your leaders. I just want to say I find that a very odd place for the Apostle Paul to drop that in there if that's the case. I don't think that's what it means to go from talking about the life and the spirit to helping those that are in sin to bearing one another's burdens and oh, by the way, pay your pastor. You know what I'm saying? It just seems like a very random place to throw that in there. It's like he's getting a subliminal message. Love Jesus, pay your pastor. It just <laughs> seems very random. I think what he's saying is it's in contrast to the Judaism teachers that have been coming along saying, yeah, Jesus is good, but you have to become Jewish and add uh, uh, obedience to the Old Testament moral and ceremonial laws. You have to add all this together to find freedom. And Paul is saying, that's not what you got from me. 
that's not what the people that I left to teach you are teaching you. What he's saying to them is listen to them. And then when you're getting freedom and you're continuing to experience the life of God, when you're continuing to experience spiritual strength, let them know about it. Encourage your preachers. Encourage your teachers. And that could be Pastor Joe. It could be Tim. It could be, uh, it could be any of them. It could be your mother. It could be a small group leader. When somebody is delivering the word of life to you and it's helping you, your way of helping them is saying, here, let me tell you how your word is helping me. You want to you see a pastor, a teacher of the word get better? Tell them how you're helping them. I like a good amen. I beg for them sometimes, don't I? I used to have a guy, somebody just said amen. Uh, I used to have a guy that was from Ghana in New York who used to say to me occasionally, when I would say something good, he would say, say it again, say it again. So I would. We'd have some long sermons in New York. You know, I, I, and I love that, and that is helpful. You want to get a, a, a good lesson, a good teaching, encourage them. Shake your head. Say, go for it. Preach it. Go, whatever you want to say, encourage them. That's great. More than anything, tell them how, you're helping, how they're helping you. By understanding the Word of God, shoot them an email. Go up to them in person. Say, thank you for giving me the Word of life. How many of you ever watched Andy Griffith? I'm showing my, both my age and my southernness with this one. But Andy Griffith used to sit down and Aunt B would come out and she would put down the gospel bird. Fried, of course. No rotisserie or baked chicken. It's got to be fried. Mashed potatoes, cornbread, corn. Amen. I'm getting hungry. Well, amen. And so... And Andy would just start this like, mm, 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 ain't beat, mm, mm, mm. He would just start, why, why is he doing that? That's her love language. She needs that. She needs to know he appreciates it and he likes it and keep it coming. You're helping me live, Aunt B. That's what happens when you tell your preachers, when you tell your leaders, your instructors, you're helping me. You'll have them encouraged coming back with more truth. Yeah, pay them. I'm a pastor. Pay the pastor. <laughs> but that's, I don't think that's necessarily what that means. That's in 1 Corinthians 9 and Hebrews, if you want to talk about that. But here, just encourage them because that's what we do in the family. We encourage each other. And the fourth way that we encourage one another and we share life together is we just keep uh, sowing blessing into one another's lives, knowing that a good harvest is coming. We just keep sowing blessing into one another's lives, knowing. When you look at verses 7 through 10, it talks about sowing, knowing that a good harvest is coming. You know, when you, when you compare things that you could do with the small group or with church on Sunday morning, you're sometimes comparing, do I have time? Do I have energy? And I know we need money to do all this. Can I give more? You know, there are sometimes you have to budget all this and you say, can I continue to give this, which is sowing? Can I continue to give this? Can I just tell you, there's nothing you can give to that's going to give back to you what you give to the church. And please know, I'm not talking about money primarily here. I'm talking about all of life. 
So blessing, just blessing, words of life, words of encouragement, time, energy, and including money. Sow it into the family because here's what you have promised for you. You're going to reap some now, but the best is yet to come. You're going to have streets of gold, gates of pearl. There's going to be no need for light there because he's, he in all of his glory is going to be in the middle of it all. I tell you, I don't even care about all that other stuff. I just can't wait to be in his presence. Whatever heaven is to you, in your mind, that's what heaven's going to look like. Everything you give, that's what you're going to be getting as a harvest. And more than anything, for me, I just want to hear from him. Well done. Well done. You were screwed up. But I know you tried. And here's your reward. Welcome. Welcome to your eternal home. There is no harvest to compete with that. So keep sowing blessing, knowing that your harvest is yet to come. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you today. And we praise you for the life that we get to share with one another, the life of freedom. May we receive that, experience it, and enjoy it in our midst so that Jesus, you can be crowned Lord of all, not only in heaven, but on earth, in our lives, in our homes, and in our communities. Thank you for all that you give us. Take this word, use it to help send us out this week more inspired than we were when we came in. Be praised through our lives. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.